following is a sermon preached at Grace Church of Orange, California. Join us now as we go verse by verse through God's inspired, inerrant, infallible Word. Good to have Michael and Taylor and Ezra with us today. Thanks for sharing, Michael. Thanks for leading worship and for giving us the good news about Grace Rancho. Praise God. All right, so please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 16. And if you're able, I invite you to stand with me as I read verses 17 to 23. This is the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus greet you. And Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are with us and that you are good. And I pray that you would work in our hearts such that we would take the message of this passage to heart. That we would not ignore it, that we would not brush it to the side, but that we would receive whatever comfort or correction you have for us together today. And Lord, may the result of us spending this time together in your presence be that you are given the honor that you deserve. Let me pray in Jesus' name, amen. Wouldn't it be nice if we were always unified and everyone always got along, but division and disunity is a reality of life. It happens in every sphere of life. Charles de Gaulle once said, how can you govern a country that has 246 varieties of cheese? Abraham Lincoln said, contradiction is the perfect evidence of human fallibility. Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Last week, we were in the first 16 verses of chapter 16 in Romans. We're coming to the end of this beautiful letter, and we saw an awesome point. We saw that that God gifts people in certain ways, and that they are to exercise those gifts and be in line with how he has ordained them to serve, and when that happens, the church is a beautiful place. That when everyone is fulfilling their God-ordained role, the church is awesome. And we can rejoice in that, saying, wow, look what God did. You know, we see Michael and Taylor and Ezra, and we see, we can say, praise God for what has happened at Grace Rancho over the 
uh, past year and a half or so. We look around our assembly at Grace Orange and we're like, praise God for what he is doing. People are coming to know Christ. People are growing in Christ. We're sending missionaries out. We're doing local outreach. Praise God. And then you get to this passage today and it's like, whoa, whoa, hold on. What happened? <laughs> Everything was looking so good. We're here at the end. We're giving the personal greetings. We're, we're ap- appreciating those that are serving. And then all of a sudden, here we are rounding the corner, heading for home in Romans. And all of a sudden, Paul surprises us with a serious problem. Something very sobering. So we've just heard about how when everyone is fulfilling their God-ordained roles, the church is a beautiful place, but now we are sobered by what Paul says in this passage. The point today is that when division goes unchecked in the church, the church is a dangerous place. It's not so beautiful, it's not so nice. When division goes unchecked, the church is a dangerous place. So here we have it. Paul surprises us with a serious problem. He knows something that the church also knows, and he needs to have the church be warned to take action. Paul has been telling us over and over again how unified we are to be as a church. But he is concerned here because there were those in the church in Rome that were causing divisions. Divisiveness is destructive. And so Romans 16, 17 and 23 contains a warning to be watchful. A warning to be watchful of those causing divisions in the church. Now, some of you may say, why is he bringing this up today? Is there something going on at Grace Orange that we all need to know about? And I love my answer. This is the next passage in Romans, folks. And my dad used to say, my mom and dad are here today, and my, my dad used to say when I was a kid, if the shoe fits, wear it, right? Well, you know what? If, you're feeling, if, you're gonna, if you feel at all you know, convicted by anything in this passage, deal with it. Because it's serious business. If you find out that, wow, you know what? I'm the one that's been causing divisions in the church and I didn't even realize it. I just fell into it. I was listening to people and I wasn't, I wasn't being a, you know, discerning. Just repent of your sins and go on in freedom in Christ. There is forgiveness in Christ. This passage is a big warning. A warning to be watchful. It's the next passage in Romans. No one's getting pointed out. This was what was next. You should be glad that we preach verse by verse here at Grace Orange. You should be glad that I'm not hunting and pecking and figuring out all the passages I'm going to use to correct everybody. No, let's let the Holy Spirit do all of that. The comforting and the correcting, right? Amen? So Romans 16, 17, 23. A a warning to be watchful of those causing divisions in the church. Those undermining unity. Those that devalue Christ's bride, the blood-bought bride of Christ, the church. Literally those who are being traitors in the church. Now the most famous American traitor we know is Benedict Arnold, right? Nobody names their kids Benedict Arnold. That's not your first name and your middle name. No one in here is named Benedict Arnold, you know, Jones or whatever. Now he didn't start off that bad though. At the beginning of the Revolutionary War, he was a successful American commander. He helped capture Fort Ticonderoga. 
He was a a huge part of of winning the Battle of Saratoga, a turning point of the war. But here's what happened to him. He was not given credit for some of the battles that he helped win. And so he was humiliated by his adversaries, and he starts to feel scorned by the United States. And he offers to sell West Point to the British, possible key to winning the war. But then the plot was exposed when a British spy was captured, Major John Andre, And Arnold flees and joins the British army. And then he leads raids against the Americans. He fought against his own people. Enemy of unity. Full of dishonesty and duplicity. In war, when division goes unchecked, people die. In the church, when division goes unchecked, it's a dangerous place. We need to unify around this truth today. When division goes unchecked, the church is a dangerous place. In fact, without unity, we have no ministry. We're sickly. We're in danger of hurting the cause of Christ if we do not have unity. Now, what's going on in this passage? And Paul is basically saying this, in light of everything I've said in all of Romans, he's at the end of the letter. And this happens to me often as a pastor. I'll be you know, in counseling with a couple or with someone and they, they come to me for some sort of help and I'm always praying, Lord, please help me help them. Uh, help me open up the word to them. How does the word of God um, help this situation? And how does the gospel, how can the gospel transform it? But almost always in counseling with people, right before you think you're done with the meeting, the big issue comes up. It's like they've been waiting for an hour and a half, two hours to tell you this one thing. And and it doesn't work if you start and say, hey, can you tell me right now what that big thing is you're going to tell me at the end? It doesn't work, okay? And Paul's kind of doing that here. He's saying, look, this is big, but I couldn't tell you back in chapter one. I had to lay the groundwork of the sinfulness of man and the grace of God in Christ and and the heights of Romans 8, but then the struggle of Romans 7 with the old man. And then I had to go through those chapters about calling for unity before I appealed to you to watch out for those who cause divisions. There are some that did not accept the sound doctrine in Romans that was in line with the gospel. They were dividing the church. They were placing obstacles contrary to the doctrine of being humbled under the grace of God by the obedience of faith, following Christ, owing all to grace, living for the glory of God, submitting to the lordship of Christ. There were people in the church that were, that were going against that and they were denying grace and they were boasting in themselves and they were pleasing themselves and they were slaves of their own desires and they were not slaves of Christ. And so Paul is strongly warning the church. He's saying if division is allowed unchecked, the church will be a dangerous place. This passage has several parts, but it's really about one thing. It's about avoiding divisive people. Avoiding divisive people. We see it in verses 17 and 18. Everything else in this passage supports that argument. 
So the first thing we see is avoiding divisive people. Here, let me just give you a quick outline of what this passage is showing us. First, avoiding divisive people, verses 17 and 18. And then just appreciating obedience. Appreciating obedience, verse 19. Because there are, there are people that are divisive, but the majority was obedient to the Lord. And then verse 20, being assured that God will crush the deceiver in light of those deceiving and dividing the church be assured that God is going to crush Satan, who is behind those divisions. And then you see something in verses 21 to 23 that looks like kind of add-on, like just a few extra greetings, but it really connects with this passage as well. They're just some assorted greetings, but they're from non-divisives. They're from gospel partners. So the main idea centered around avoiding divisive people, and then in verses 21 to 23, he's like, and by the way, I'm gonna point out eight people who aren't divisive. Eight people that are gospel partners. So this kind of makes his point as well. The main idea centers around this idea of avoiding divisive people. Verses 17 and 18. He starts verse 17 by saying, I appeal to you. Literally, the Greek word is parakaleo. It's I'm urging you. I'm calling out to you. I'm coming alongside you to exhort and encourage you about something very, very serious. And he says, you need to watch out for. That's a... A great word, it literally means to keep an eye on. It's the Greek word skopeo, where we get the scope in telescope and microscope. Skopeo. It's the idea of like setting a microscope up and focusing on a distant point or a goal and keep watching it. I got friends that are pastors back you know, in, um, in Indiana and Ohio, and you know, on Mondays when I'm taking my day off and I'm hiking in the hills, they're, they're deer hunting. And they just sit there for hours and watch. And they watch the clearing, the little scope, and they're just watching, watching and waiting for the deer to come by. Paul's saying, you watch out for, you scope in like a telescope, and you examine, and you scrutinize, and you consider, and you contemplate, and you inspect very closely, and then you continue watching those that are causing division. It's kind of like a parent or grandparent watching a child, a young infant or a, a toddler. You want to make sure they're not getting into something that's going to harm them. You want to make sure that you keep uh, destructive influences away from them. Paul is saying, you keep scoping them out. You're filled with the Spirit of God. You're filled with the Word of God. You keep watch. But it's not to find fault. You're not watching for them to, to make a misstep. You want a fair assessment. The people that are watching people in the church to make a misstep and to trip up are those causing divisions. Those that are watching out for those causing divisions are, are literally just saying, let's be honest about what's going on because this is going to hurt Christ's bride. And we should not allow anyone to hurt Christ's bride, right? He's saying those who cause, those who create divisions obstacles, those who are encouraging dissensions, they're, they're stirring up strife, they're dredging it up, they're, they're creating dichotomies in the church. It's the idea of, of standing apart, literally the word for creating division is standing apart. So the group in the church is just going forward in gospel ministry, but there's a group off to the side that's standing apart saying, no, we're going to do our own thing. We're going to make some trouble. 
He says they create obstacles, barriers, hindrances. The, the Greek word is scandalon. It's the same word we saw in chapter 14. Do not cause your brother to stumble. It's a snare. It's a stumbling block. The root meaning of scandalon is where we get our word scandal is the idea of something that jumps up and like snaps shut. It's the bait stick on a trap. The piece of wood that keeps the track open for the animal and then the animal comes in and boom, got it. The rat, the mouse, whatever you're trying to find, trying to catch. Paul is saying don't throw down a spike strip. You know how the law enforcement officials today will throw down a spike strip of of, a fleeing suspect and then it makes the tires flat? Paul is saying you don't throw down a spike strip in front of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't do it. Don't do something that's going to mess up the church. He's literally saying, don't bring in dissension or scandal. And the thing is, he is talking about people they would have known about. Look at that verse again. Look at verse 17. Watch out for those who cause divisions contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught avoid them and he's talking about specific people now he's not name checking them but they would have known who the scandal producers were who the specific dissenters were and he says they're doing things contrary that's literally means strange like they're just bringing in strange doctrines wacky teachings uh, doctrine here is didache the teaching so it's literally the teaching you've been taught uh, taught there is, the, is where we get the word disciple from. It's monthano, and mathetes is the noun, which is disciple, but it's the teaching you've been taught, what you've received, what you've learned. Because Paul knew that what he said in the letter to the Romans was tough to swallow at times. Some, as we've gone through things in Romans, there's some things hard to understand, hard for people to grasp, but don't let that cause division. This idea of being taught is intentional learning by asking questions and observing, inquiring. This idea of being taught actually stresses the authoritative nature of what was taught because it's the word of God that was taught. That they would understand and accept the teaching of the word of God that is true and apply it to their life. At that point in time, they would have had the whole Old Testament They probably would have had um, Mark and Matthew and James, for sure. And the letter to the Romans. Remember, this is coming in at the very end of the letter. People who follow Jesus, disciples of Christ, must be able to recognize and refute error. Got to know the truth so you can recognize and refute error. 2 Timothy 1.13, Paul tells tells Timothy, you retain the standard of sound words that, that you heard from me. Retain the standard. It's a present imperative. It's you continually hold on to that standard of sound teaching that you heard from me in the faith and love that is in Christ Jesus. It's all centered on Jesus Christ and who he is as Lord of all. In Colossians 2, verses 3 and 4, Paul says, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's all about Jesus Christ. And Paul says there that I'm saying this so that no one would would delude you or deceive you with a persuasive argument. Don't be tricked. The persuasive argument there, the deception there, is putting something alongside the truth that looks like the truth. 
It looks, like, it looks just like it. A lot of times, truth and error are made to look almost the same, but one's counterfeit. It's like when you go to a restaurant and you, you want to see a sample of you know, the food getting served and you say, well, look at right there in the case there. Can I just have that one? That looks great. And they're like, that's made out of plastic. We put a bunch of samples out there because we were putting out the real food, but it got bad by the end of the day and nobody wanted it. Here's a sample. You, you try to eat that, it's going to tear you up. It's going to hurt you. You don't want plastic. You want real food. You want mashed potatoes and gravy and roast beef. Spiritually, you don't want plastic doctrine. You don't want fake, false counterfeits that cause dissension and scandal contrary to healthy doctrine. You don't want to be listening to people that are advocating unsound things. And by the way, they will seem to have a desire to grow and seem to have a desire to to help the body of Christ. And and maybe you can't put your finger on it exactly, but something just doesn't seem right. Something just doesn't add up. Don't ignore those warnings. You can be at a Bible-believing church and go off the rails theologically. We all all know of Bible-believing churches that have gone off the rails theologically and their leadership have taken that away and and taken them off, off into some other place and they're no longer Bible-believing churches. What Paul is saying is there are problem people in the church that he knew about and they knew about. Now, it's very important to know what Paul says to do about this. Like, did he say, hey, excommunicate them. Get them out of there. Did he say that? No. Did he say, burn them at the stake? No, what he said. Look at the end of verse 17. Avoid them. Avoid them. Now, some of us are like, oh, good, we don't have to deal with the problem. We just get to ignore the problem. That's not exactly what it means when it says avoid them. So we'll get into that a bit later. But the idea he's saying is don't waste your time on false ideas. Don't waste your time. It's not worth it. Now, Titus chapter 3, verse 10 gives us a little more info on what are you to do? What's this avoidance? Titus 3.10 says, As for the person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. So it's the third strike. Okay? Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and self-condemned. They're in trouble. They're not going to help you spiritually. 2 John 1, verse 10 says, You don't even receive them or greet them. That's a tough one for me because I'm like, I like to say hi to everybody. I like to give everybody a hug. I like to say, hey, we're so glad you're here. It's kind of hard to know exactly what it means when it says, you know, what do you do to turn away from them? But it, it means turn away from them. It's tough for us, but that's what it means. Turn away from them. Literally deviate from them. They're being deviant in their, in their thoughts and their, their divisions. Well, you need to deviate from them. You need to get away from them. Here's the picture. Let's say you're hiking on a trail. And, and the trail is all clear, and then you come to a place where the trail narrows. And it narrows to such an extent that there's shrubs that are growing over into, into the pathway there. And as you get up closer, what you notice is that the shrubs have thorns all over them. 
The idea of avoiding them is literally you being really careful as you're going through shrubs with thorns on them so you don't hurt yourself. Paul has the best interests in mind for the church. Avoid those who divide. This is like the crash avoidance feature that many of your new cars have. Paul is saying to the churches, you don't let anyone divert you from discipleship. Don't let anyone cause you to flounder as you follow Christ. Don't let someone throw down a spike strip in your way when you're trying to serve Jesus. And he writes it to the church because it's to be applied by the church. To create division requires an audience, requires a a group of some sort, someone willing to listen to the divisive ideas. You know that in, in you know, society, if, if you're there when the person's pulling the trigger and you're their friend and you didn't stop them and you didn't tell them not to do it, that you will be an accessory to that crime, that you will be an accomplice and you will be found guilty as well. The church is a dangerous place when division goes unchecked. Certain things are just inappropriate. When you press them into certain contexts, they can get you in trouble. You know, I love to hike and I love to walk. uh, And uh, I like to do it almost daily. Well, here's what happens when I'm hiking or walking. I find things on the ground that I think are valuable and I pick them up. Now, it could be a coin, okay? Put that in your pocket, right? Maybe it's a bolt. I'm serious. Sometimes I'll just find a bolt, or I'll be on a hiking trail that people ride their bikes on, and I'll find a part of a, of a mountain bike, like a, a little part, and I'm like, I think I might need that for my mountain bike at, at some point. I'll put these things in my pocket. Now, in my running days, I just didn't even see those things. I was going so fast. Didn't even look down and see that. You got to look ahead, right? But as I'm hiking and walking, I find things. And I'll do this when I'm in the neighborhood, you know, around my house, but also when I'm on trips. And recently, Angela and I were on a, a little retreat with some couples at a missions event thing. And I go on a walk one morning in, in this neighborhood. And I'm walking through this neighborhood that I, I'm not familiar with. And I'm, I, I look down on the ground, and, and there on the ground is, is an implement, uh, a tool, and I pick it up. I pick it up, and it's got a handle. And that's got a blade, almost like a machete, but not. It's got teeth on it. And what it is, is a tool that you can, you know, get up in a tree and cut off some branches with. And I thought to myself, I need that. I'm going to take it. It's in the gutter, sitting in the street. Nobody is around. No one's name is on it. I'm going to go ahead and take that. And I pick it up in my hand, and I'm just holding it for a moment. I'm looking at it. I'm thinking, this is going to work on the trees in my yard. But then at the very next moment, I thought, wait a minute, this is not such a good idea. This is not going to be a good look, me walking through a neighborhood that nobody knows me with a sharp implement in my hand. But my motive was right. I just happened upon it. But it would send an inaccurate message. That's like people that get deceived by people that are teaching wrong things, but they trust them for some reason, and they just go along with it. 
That's how it is when people choose to hurt the church. A lot of times they don't start out thinking, I'm going to do something wrong, or I'm going to do something that looks wrong. But interestingly, Jesus, actually frighteningly, Jesus had some words for those who would cause those who believe in him to stumble. I don't know, something about a heavy millstone being thrown in the, in the depth of the sea. Paul's about to give us the reason why this is such a big deal. Verse 18. Paul's explaining why the seemingly radical response is warranted. And it's, he says it this way. He says, such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. Well, who are they serving then? It says they're serving their own appetites, their selfish interests. Now, this doesn't necessarily have to be some you know, gross sensual indulgence They're just doing what they want to do in opposition to what the Bible says to do. It's in the present tense. It's their their lifestyle of continually being enslaved to their own desires. It's in the active voice. They are willfully choosing to submit to the corrupt desires of fallen nature they inherited from Adam. Romans told us all about this. Romans 5.12. Every person is born enslaved to the rule and the reign of sin. Romans 5.12, through one man, Adam, sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all people because all sinned. And Paul is talking about people that may have been masquerading as believers or maybe they just were believers and got re-enslaved to their former lusts. We don't know. They're in bad shape because they're hurting the church. And he's telling the church, you watch out. One writer put it this way, what what an unutterably fearful spiritual state to be among those filled with holy love toward the Lord Jesus and toward one another as members of his body and bent on altogether selfish business. It's like, wow, what a, a fearful place to be When you're around people that all love Jesus and just want to serve him and want to love one another and you are bent on selfish business. John Bunyan said, a man will go far for his own belly's sake. A man will go far for his own belly's sake. Someone may seem to be sincere, but they're not generally concerned for the health of Christ's church. When they're driven by self-interest or self-gratification, these are the kind of people Paul's talking about. That the division that they, that they generate grows in the soil of deception and depravity. You know, all, all Christians and really all elders in, in leadership in a church need to reread Acts 20, verses 26 to 32. In fact, just turn over to Acts 20 with me. Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders, and he says some very crucial things. Acts 20, verse 26, he says, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Elders, pay close attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. You think of your own heart, you think of your home, you think of your small group, you think all the way to everyone in the whole church. You be careful to pay attention to yourself and to all the flock 
because the Holy Spirit made you an overseer to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And it gets sobering. Here's what Paul says. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, did you catch that? From among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. He says in verse 31, therefore you be alert. Remember that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And then he says, I commend you to God, who can handle all of this, by the way, and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. All elders need to reread that. All Christians need to read it. For the sake of the purity of the bride of Christ. Paul says, by smooth talk and flattery, they will deceive the unsuspecting. You know, sometimes... People will get tricked with the guile of someone, their falsehood, um, someone who's not thinking of what's best for them or the church, and they'll get, they'll get tricked. They'll take in the thoughts. They'll kind of eat the thoughts, if you will, and, and bring those in. They'll get down into them, and they'll start thinking wrongly. Let me illustrate that a little bit with something in my own life. Uh, sometimes I have two meals out in one day. Sometimes I'll meet with one of the men from our church for breakfast, then I'll go and meet with one of the men from our church uh, for lunch, and uh, I get home, and I'm like, I'm not really hungry for dinner. I've just ate a lot today. In fact, sometimes I'm like, I can't believe I ate that. Like, I didn't eat well today. Well, here's what's happening with a lot of Christians. A lot of Christians are eating spiritual junk food away from home, so when they get home with the gathering of believers, they're not hungry for spiritual dinner, Think about this. Your pastors and elders and other teachers at Grace Orange are literally working hard to feed and teach you every week. We're not the only teachers you should listen to. There's a lot of teachers out there that are really good, but there are a lot that are really bad that we wouldn't want you to go and listen to. And some people will say things like, I don't care what anybody in the leadership of my church says. I'm going to believe what that person who isn't charged with the care of my soul says. They don't care about you. They're not charged with the care of your soul. So sometimes people will believe smooth talk and flattery. And some people will look healthy on the outside, but they're not. They're, they pretend healthy, but they're unhealthy. Every one of us, you say, hey, how you doing today? And, I, and you're like, I'm doing well. And then you're like, but this is going on physically. This is going on mentally. This is going on spiritually, right? Because it's within, I'm, I'm well within a range. I'm not dead, okay? I'm, I'm still walking. I'm still upright. Praise God, right? But people will eat junk spiritually and it will ruin their spiritual appetite. Binge eating while on a strict diet. They're eating Twinkies and Ding Dongs out in the parking lot and they're going to their meeting and they're like, oh, I'm keeping my diet. Yeah, I'm doing it, yeah. Looks like they're eating right, but what you feed yourself with offline ruins your spiritual physique. Too many cheat days, if you will, weakens your system. Uh, you find out one day that you don't have any hunger for the pure milk of the word of God. You actually open up the word of God and you start pressing all the false ideas into the Bible. This is what Paul's talking about. People that serve their own appetites rather than submitting to the word of God. Submission to the word of God is the foundation of our unity, folks. Lack of submission is a catalyst for division. Paul says they deceive 
the hearts of the naive, the unsuspecting, the innocent, the guileless, just people that love Jesus and want to serve him and they don't even realize they're getting deceived. God is so patient, he is so kind, he is so forbearing. You know, you think about the Garden of Eden. God did not prevent the serpent from tempting Eve and beguiling her in craftiness. God doesn't throw down the the spike strip to forcibly prevent division makers from making divisions and harming the church. Isn't that interesting? But here's what God does. He warns the saints. He warns believers. And he says, you need to exercise discernment and wisdom and a hatred of evil, turning away from divisions and from false teaching. There's going to be people that are undiscerning. There are going to be people that are too trusting. There are going to be people that are maybe just naive and believe anything. That's why Christians need to help each other in this regard. For the good of Christ's church. For the good of Christ's church, avoid divisive people. Because if division is allowed unchecked in the church, it's a dangerous place. Now Paul moves on. Verse 19, he, in light of this, he just appreciates the obedience of the unified majority. The majority. He says in verse 19, your obedience is known to all. I rejoice over you. I can say that with a clear conscience to Grace Church of Orange. Most everybody at Grace, you're just doing what you need to do and wanting to please God and wanting to interact in a healthy way with other believers. I can rejoice in that. The unified majority. Good reputation. But then he says, I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. It's like Jesus saying in Matthew 10, 16, you be shrewd as snakes and you be innocent as doves. Innocent, not gullible. You need to be willing to take the hard step of distancing yourself from destructive people. Be wise and discerning Gleaning from the word of God, not, not greedy grabbing from the world. Paul says in Philippians 3.17, join in imitating me and keep your eyes. Now he says, keep your eyes on what is good. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. You know, people that actually can deal with divisive people appropriately. You follow their example. Because Paul goes on in Philippians 3, verse 18, it says, there are many people whom I have often told you about, and I tell you now even with tears, tears streaming down his cheeks, they walk as enemy of the cross of Christ. Verse 19, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, they glory in their shame, their minds are set on earthly things. But most Christians I know, they're too busy casting their cares upon the Lord because he cares for them to worry about division. Most Christians I know are, are, are too busy bearing one another's burdens to, to busy themselves in causing trouble. The majority do what God wants. But we are to avoid divisive people. We're, we're to appreciate obedience when we see it. And then verse 20 gives us this assurance. God is going to crush Satan. He's going to crush the, the, the deceiver. Verse 20 says, the God of peace will soon crush, literally break into pieces, Satan under your feet. He's the God of peace. God is the God of peace. Peace is binding together what was separated. To set it together like a, setting a broken bone, just setting it unified together again. One person said it this way, God's grace is the fountain of which his peace is the stream. When divisions are healed, peace results. God made a promise in Genesis 
First preaching of the gospel in the Bible. Future triumph of the Messiah ensured the Lord Jesus Christ, our, our Savior, will, will, be, will be triumphing over our adversary, Satan. He says this, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, the Messiah. He, the Messiah, shall bruise you, Satan, on the head, and you shall bruise him, Messiah, on the, he- on the heel. The seed of the woman, the Messiah, would totally and forever crush the head of the serpent. But we know that Satan was not soon crushed, still is not fully crushed today. Christ defeated Satan at the cross, but what we know is that the return of Christ soon and very soon, we will see him crush Satan. Now soon means quickly, but it can also mean unexpectedly, and I think that's the meaning here. He will unexpectedly, this is like closely related in three times in Revelation where it talks about Christ coming quickly. Soon, unexpectedly, Christ is gonna do this. A.T. Robertson put it this way, it is reckoned as God counts time. Meanwhile, patient loyalty from us. God promised to crush Satan, and do you notice what he says? Under your feet. He's talking to the church, under your feet. God uses the church to crush Satan. And you can win those small skirmishes, by the way. 1 Peter 5.9, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren in the world. You resist Satan with scripture like Jesus did, he will flee from you. Satan is 100% opposed to the truth. First words you read in the Bible from Satan is, has God actually said... He's questioning the authority of God's word because Satan's opposition to you as a believer will come primarily with regard to the Bible. We're not ignorant of Satan's schemes. He wants to deceive people about the identity of Jesus Christ and of Scripture's authority and truthfulness and sufficiency. Satan is the accuser of Christians. He undermines people's assurance. He makes Christians insecure, makes Christians think that they have something to prove. You know how many Christians are just trying to prove to God their worthiness? He divides the church into those who think they've earned some merit-worthy goodness and then those who just despair of how sinful they are and not be able to walk in victory in Christ. Verse 20, you know what it tells us? Those causing division are doing Satan's work. God knows the hearts of all. 2 Timothy 2.19, the Lord knows those who are his. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. Division is allowed unchecked in the church. The church can be a dangerous place. Every Christian, if you're a Christian today, you need to cling to the truth of the word of God and work hard to know it. You know how much we all forget. You need to keep going back to the well, going back to the word. John 8, 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And Paul says this at the end of that verse 20, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you because God's grace comforts us as we avoid divisive people and appreciate obedience where it exists in the, in the unified majority and assures us that he will crush the deceiver. And then some assorted greetings at the end. Verses 21 to 23. It's really interesting. Here's what's important about this. These greetings... From these eight people, they're all unifying, non-divisive people. They're they're with him. They're co-workers. They're servants of Jesus, not servants of Satan. So in contrast with those who are divisive, here here are eight great gospel partners. 
Verse 21, Timothy leads off. My fellow worker greets you. Timothy, Paul's son in the faith, his co-worker. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul gives a scorching list of 20 plus destructive things that divisive people do. And then he commends Timothy. He says, but you followed my teaching, which leads right into you followed it because it's the authoritative word of God. It's the inspired word of God. Then he says Lucius and Jason. Jason's probably the same Jason that sheltered Paul and Silas when they were persecuted in Thessalonica, Acts 17. He says Sosipater. That could be another spelling of Sopater who accompanied Paul in Acts 20. But he says, these are my kinsmen. We're together in the gospel. And then Verse 22, I love this. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Paul lets his literary assistant, his scribe, his amanuensis, as he's known, chime in. He uses his gifts in the service of the gospel. He gets to say hello to. And then 23, Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, wealthy man, uses his home for gospel purposes. He greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer. That's the senior civil servant in Corinth was on a mission visit with Timothy to Macedonia. You, you meet him again at the end of Paul's life when he stays in Corinth. And then he says, our brother Cordus, he greets you too. These gospel partners, they're vastly different from those that cause divisions. These people are helping, they're not hindering. They're disciples, they're discipling people versus dividing people. And then real quick, do you see a verse 24 in your Bible? If you got the ESV, there's no verse 24. It's way down in the... In the Footnote, if you got the NASB, New American Standard, it's in there with brackets. The earliest manuscripts does not have this verse, the grace of, of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And that's kind of just the same as what's at the end of verse 20. But let me ask the question, in light of what Paul's saying here, how are we to deal with those who cause division in the church? Let me give you five ways to deal with this Number one, examine yourself. First and foremost, be sobered by this passage of Scripture and cry out to God and say, Lord, is it me? Don't go looking around at everybody else and people you think are wrong. Just be sobered by it and examine yourself. Ask the question, am I the cause of movement in the wrong direction at Grace Church of Orange? Am I, am I bringing us backwards or sideways? Am I tackling my teammates? Am I diverting us from progress in fellowship or the gospel? Am I living my own agenda? Am I self-willed? Am I undermining the leadership? Am I being subversive? Don't assume your innocence. Let the Spirit of God use the scalpel of the Word of God to do surgery on the thoughts and intents of your heart. If you're causing trouble and you realize it and you don't want to do that, let the great physician scope out your heart and apply the precious blood of Christ to your sick soul, to your troubled soul. Walk in freedom in Christ. Be captivated by Christ's love for you. Examine your heart first. Secondly, refuse to participate in division and causes of stumbling. Refuse to listen to gossip or be the one that does it. That doesn't mean you can never disagree, but if you're going around saying, have you had a problem with this person too? You're off base. If you have a problem with someone, you go and talk to them. That's what Christians do, right? You just go do what Christians do. Don't cause division in the church. Even, you need, to, you need to refuse to participate in division, even if it means confronting your friends or changing groups of friends. Because bad company corrupts good morals, even in the church. Don't let anyone harm Christ's sheep. Number three, be obedient to what you've been taught. Just in the aggregate, you got 
all of Romans here, you've got all of scripture, because if your mind is not being renewed by the perfect word of God, it is being ruined by the perverse ways of the world. There's no neutral ground. Number four, correct with gentleness those who attempt to divide. Just humble and bold, correct. Unapologetic for the health of Christ's church. Souls are at stake. Jude 1.3, I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. 2 Thessalonians 3.6, about those that are causing divisions, it says, keep away from any brother who is doing that. But it goes on in verse 15 to say, don't regard him as an enemy, warn him as a brother. Love your brother, love your sister enough to be truthful without trying to trip them up. You wanna help them. Titus 1.9 says that church leaders are to protect the flock and we're called to, to hold to the, to the faithful teaching, we're called to teach it, but then we're called to do something that a lot of us elders don't wanna do. We're, we're called to refute those who contradict, to protect the flock, hold to the truth, Teach the truth. Refute those that contradict the truth. And then the last thing is pray. Pray for everyone. Pray for everyone who calls Grace Church their home church, that God would keep us from division. Pray for the naive. Pray for the humble. Pray for the wise. Pray for those who are sneaky in dividing. Pray for repentance. Kill them with kindness. Be kind. The Lord's bondservant, 2 Timothy 2.24, must be kind to all. And it goes on to say, be kind to all so that you can actually correct those who contradict so that God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth because they have been held captive by Satan to do his will. True believers don't want that. They want to be free. And I just want to tell you that personally, pastorally, what crushes me is disunity keeps me awake at night, causes me to weep. I want a unified gospel church. I know you do too. Someone just asked me recently, a fellow pastor at another church asked me, how are things going at Grace Church of Orange? I didn't hesitate in my response. I said, very well by the grace of God. We have an amazing group of elders. We have an amazing staff. And then I said, and most everybody is with us. Not everybody. But most are with us. And my friend said, well, isn't that the way things are? We live on earth. The majority of you are with us. Praise God. I have no one to point out today. This was the next passage of scripture. But praise God, we're moving in the same direction. But we know there are people in churches that cause divisions. Grace Church too. And, and if, you, if we know about it, we need to deal lovingly and firmly. And just don't be the person, please don't be the person causing divisions or stumbling others, and, and if you're the kind of person that sneaky dividers see as sympathetic to their cause and they're willing to engage you in the division, if you're somehow a magnet for that kind of attention, please stop it. I don't know if you are or not, only God knows. But just work together in gospel partnership. Resolve to move with the church, not against it. Divisive people can repent, praise God. Divisive people who know Jesus can repent. And a group this big, and I said this to all three services, a group this big, some of you are caught in a snare right now and only God knows and maybe a couple other people and you need help. 
If you're the one, or you're doing, currently planning or perpetrating or party to causing divisions, or you're laying down spike strips in front of other believers, you're setting minefields up for the unsuspecting, you're doing Satan's will. And God will crush you. He'll crush you in repentance leading to life or judgment leading to death. God is gonna crush the adversary and preserve his elect. And there are a lot of people, hopefully we could all say we've all been repenting of our sins. A lot of people have caused division and have repented. There's, praise God, you know, there's, there's hope for every believer. You know why? Because the word of God changes our hearts. First Thessalonians 2.13. God is so good and kind and patient with us. His mercy just overflows to us. There's our reason. There's our reason to trust Jesus and walk in repentance and give glory to God. You know, think about Benedict Arnold. His name is still synonymous with traitor because bad reputations die hard, don't they? But according to legend, uh, on his deathbed in London, Benedict Arnold actually regretted his treason. And he said this, according to legend, let me die in this old uniform in which I fought my battles. May God forgive me for ever having put on another. Just watch over your heart with all diligence. From it flow the springs of life. And just remember there is forgiveness in Christ. By grace, former traitors can become trusted gospel partners. Paul is exhibit A. Former persecutor became outspoken witness for Jesus. Suffered persecution, willing to spend and be spent for the souls of fellow believers. We're being told here that the church is dangerous when division is unchecked. Check it in your heart before it ever comes out. Receive the warning, just take it to heart. Our reason to live is because of Jesus. And we grieve disunity and we grieve division, but not because it hurts, even though it does but because souls are at stake. Christ's name is blasphemed when we misbehave. I want you to remember this as we close. Our joy in Christ is not found in the absence of division. Our joy is found in the presence of Christ who will protect his bride and who will be glorified. His glory will be evident. So let's pray in thankfulness. Lord, we thank you that our joy is not found in the absence of division. Thank you, Lord, that it is found in your presence. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you will protect your bride and you are doing so now. Thank you that your glory will be evident. Help us walk in obedience of faith. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Grace, please visit our website at graceorange.org.